Hopefully Thanksgiving is right here on the, on the calendar, so we're good. But I want us to begin to look this morning at this idea of the importance of being thankful. One of the, I think I mentioned this back a few weeks ago, but one of my daughters was struggling with some negative attitudes. And just for the sake of everybody here, my daughter Sydney is in the room. It wasn't her, so there you go. She's like, don't use me as a sermon illustration. <laughs> but uh, one of my younger daughters was having trouble with some negativity. Anybody of you have kids that kind of are prone to being negative? Anybody like that, right? I have a great idea for you. Try this on them. She was going negative this, negative that, and she was kind of cranky and all that stuff. And I pulled her aside and I said, not to mention any names, but I said, Susie. <laughs> I said, Susie. I said, stop. I said, go down to your room, and I want you to make a list of 20 things that you're thankful for, right? And she came back with some of the coolest things. Like, some of them were just weird, like, thank you for toilet paper and, you know, whatever, just some weird stuff. But it was interesting, as the list began to grow and change, her, you could just see her mind changing as she began to embrace thankfulness as opposed to, you know, criticalness or negativity and those kind of things. And how many of you think that it's, if it's possible for an 11-year-old, it could be possible for us as well? Right? And isn't it easy sometimes when we move, when we're in situations that are somewhat negative or maybe circumstances aren't going our way and, and uh, maybe we have physical problems or financial or emotional or whatever, spiritual, social, any of those things. And it's easy to focus in on the problem. And pretty soon you're going, you know, I'm going to go to the garden to eat worms. You guys remember that one? <laughs> right? was, oh, everything's horrible. It's so bad. And then, you know, instead of being Tigger, we end up being Eeyore. And if you watch Winnie the Pooh, Tigger is way more fun to be around. Would you agree? And Eeyore is like, okay, here's your tail. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> you know. And I would just encourage us this morning that God's, I would propose to you today, that God's will for us is not criticism and negativity. He actually covets his people to be thankful. And the reason we know that is because from cover to cover, it tells us. Amen? We're going to get it, not going to get a chance to go through all the verses, but over these next two weeks, I want to focus on 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Okay, and I want you to, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. We're not going to read it just yet, but it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. I want to give you a little bit of a, uh, information, a little precursor to this. Thessalonians Thessalonians, the book of First and Second Thessalonians, was written to the church in a city called Thessalonica. And if you do a little research on this, and there's a couple of things that are going to jump out to us. So we're not going to read the verse first. I want to lay the, the table for you a little bit, all right? So Thessalonica was a very important, very wealthy Greek city, uh, probably in the neighborhood when this was written around 100,000 people. You know, for ancient times, that's a, that's a huge city. That's a massive thing. It was a major, um, you know, capital of Macedonia. It was major, you know, shipping and commerce and all of that stuff. It was huge. It had a lot of pagan uh, temples and, you know, all the, all the Greek gods and all that stuff. And so on Paul's second missionary journey, he takes a swing through the city of Thessalonica. And, of course, wherever he went, he would go to the synagogue 
So Thessalonica had a large Jewish population. He would go to the synagogue and he started to preach and teach. And the Bible says that he, that he a great number of God-fearing Jews were raised up and also non-Jews but God-fearing. So he kind of had this eclectic church. He had a lot of people that had Jewish backgrounds, and the church began to grow. And then there was a lot of Greeks, uh, non-Jewish people, that began to be a part of it. Well, as we read in the book of Acts and different places, you'll see that whenever the church is raised up in a Greek city that is big on idolatry, what comes next? Persecution. Because the Greeks liked to sell their gods, and they had the prostitution, and they had all these things going on. And when the new church came in, all of a sudden, they're not worshiping idols. They're not buying all this stuff. And they're not visiting the, the temples with the women and the men and all that stuff. And so they always had persecution. So when we get to this letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he's already been there, established a church, and then as he's gone away to other cities, that church comes under intense and powerful persecution. And I don't mean just like, you know, persecution we might endure of somebody not liking us because we're a Christian or, you know, slashing our tires or whatever. I'm talking actual persecution, like people being uh, rounded up and beaten and killed and these kind of stuff. Like, it's really bad. And so Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and of course, there's a lot of different aspects to it. But if you read Thessalonians, it's a very encouraging book. Paul wants to encourage them in their persecution right? Wouldn't that be about normal, right? If you know have a friend that's going through a hard time, what do you always try to do? Hey, you know what, dude? It's going to be great. Jesus is awesome, and you know, you're victorious. You know what I'm saying? Like pumping into him. And this is what he's doing in the book of, of Thessalonians. So it's, I want you to get the context. This isn't just a happy, happy, joy, joy, as Kathy would say, letter. This is written to people that are really in a hard time. Absolute persecution, all right? Are you with me? So now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. <laughs> uh, I think we have this on the screen. Can we put that up on the screen, uh, Lexi? I don't want you to stand with me real quick before we get going. Everybody stand. And I want us to read this out loud, okay? Are you with me? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. Okay, hold on. Let's say that one again. Rejoice always always, all right? Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So, Father, we thank you for your word today. God, I just pray that you would give us an influx by your Holy Spirit into the deep places of our mind and our hearts, oh God. Lord, I don't want this to be frivolous in any way. I want this to be things that are powerful. And you desire today to put something deep in us, Lord, plant some seeds of rejoicing and praying and thankfulness, oh God, that as we move into this Thanksgiving season, these next two weeks, God, Lord, that you would give us thoughts that really are yours, that are not our own, they're yours, oh God. And we embrace it and say yes today. That's your prayer. Just say yes with me. Yes. Amen. High five the person next to you, and you go ahead and sit down. Hallelujah. (laughs) Rejoice always. You know, sometimes I don't really like the Bible very well. (laughs) You know, sometimes I read certain verses and I go, really? Really, God? Did you really put that in there? 
Because especially if you understand the context of things, uh, I'm sure that there were probably some in Thessalonica that did this thing that I've referred to, and if you've been around here for any amount of time, I call it the yeah but, right? Like you read a verse, we've said this before, it says in the Ephesians, it says, be anxious for nothing. Yeah, but my situation, and then you begin to explain to God how you get to be anxious because my sister-in-law this, or my job this, or my whatever, right? (laughs) There's no yeah buts in the Bible, folks, I'm telling you. And here's the thing. We have to go all in, or we might as well just go home and forget the whole thing. Are you with me? Like, there's no yeah buts. And I come across a verse, especially, it seems interesting, sometimes when you're going through troubles and you read your Bible, you run into a verse like this. Like, just by a raising of hand, how many of you would say you're in a difficult situation in one way or another and it's very troubling to you? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, now just leave it up. Everybody look around. <laughs> now, what does that tell you? It tells you in one way we're all in the same boat, right? But the other thing is this. The enemy is trying to steal your joy. He does. In our family, we call this thing when somebody's crabby and the other person is happy. The crabby person we call a joy sucker. Oh, that person's a joy sucker, man. (laughs) They're trying to suck the joy out of this thing. And I get it, man. Sometimes circumstances and, and relationships and different things, it can really be a joy sucker in your life. Yes. There's... It's just yes, right, John? That's just it, yes. But here's the thing. It's yes, but there's no yeah, but. Because it says rejoice always. Rejoice always. So here's what I want you to do. In your mind, just take a second. And I want you to, again, you raise your hand, you have a difficult situation. I want you to just put joy, rejoicing over your situation. Just in, just in your mind, however God wants to do that with you today, but just in your own mind, just, just insert rejoicing into that. My boss is a jerk, but I'm going to rejoice over him, right? My finances are in shambles, but Lord, I just rejoice over it right now. I choose rejoicing, amen? Hallelujah. Oh, rejoice sometimes, always. I love, you guys know this, I love the Passion Translation. Uh, This morning we're reading out of the New American Standard. But in the Passion Translation, you know what it says? It says, let your joy be your continual feast. Like feast, you know, and it's interesting, Thanksgiving and, you know, the whole thing, right? We've got feast, like rejoicing and joy is supposed to be your feast. Like eating on it and just dwelling on it. And how many of you know that is, is contrary to your natural way of, of, of doing life, right? Bad things happen. People are mean to you. What do you want to do? You, you shift into Eeyore, right? But God is saying, look, forget Eeyore. Let's go back to Tigger. <laughs> Let's rejoice over this thing. Let's have some joy. I don't get how it's going to work out. I don't understand why it's here. But, Lord, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to rejoice over it. That is really, really important, folks. Because otherwise, what's the other side of the coin? <laughs> We're miserable, exactly. But beyond that, you know what it is? We, when we choose to let our circumstances dictate our reality, we are at the whim of the enemy. 
But when I choose to take the Word of God as what it says, then all of a sudden, I get to decide what my life is going to be. Do you understand? See, the other way, we're kind of at the whim of it. You know, oh, this bad thing happened. And then that bad thing went away. Oh, I got a couple extra bucks. Yay, I'm happy. All right? How many of you know that that tends to change? <laughs> Up and down and in and out. But I'll tell you what doesn't change. The Word of God does not change. And if we will choose to say, Lord, I'm going to go with your word. I don't get all the rest of it, but I'm going to go with your word. Hallelujah. Happiness is natural and fleeting. Joy is supernatural and abiding. So the big question we want to address in our remaining time today, though, is this. How do you get joy? How do you get joy? I can hear most of you, I think. Let's just do this. How do you get joy? Somebody raise your hand. How would you get joy? Because it says rejoice, and that's the word, right? How do you get joy? What? Seek it. Okay. All right. Anybody else? How do we get joy? Okay. Good. That's really a, that's a good thing to do. I'm with you. What else? Anybody else? How do you? Let me ask. I'll change the question. Where does joy come from? My salvation from the joy of the Lord. See, I think one of the things, and all those are good things to help us on our journey towards joy, but ultimately, do you know that joy only comes from the Lord? Do you ever think about some of you that have read through the book of Acts, and it talks about, about Paul, and I think it was Barnabas, and they're, they, get thro- they get beaten up almost with an inch of their life, then they get thrown in prison, in the, in the Roman prison, which is just a horrible, uh, you know, dank and, and disgusting and just horrible place. And you know what it says? They start singing. <laughs> I don't know if they were singing Break Every Chain or what. I don't know what song they were singing. But, <laughs> but they're rejoicing in the Lord. The two of them, you know, can you imagine getting beat within an inch of your life, chains in this horrible place, and the thing they do is start rejoicing and singing? It's not natural. That's supernatural, isn't it? You see, there's something about Jesus when we focus on him. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Right? Jesus is the key to this whole thing. And that's the verse in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. says, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So, Joy and the Lord are tied together. Otherwise, if it's just happy, that's just, you know, seasonal and conditional and all that stuff. Joy is different. And so I want to just take us in our remaining time here to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm chapter 13 is a psalm of David. And uh, apparently this psalm, from what we understand from history, was composed in that time between when David uh, is anointed king of Israel but he's still not come into the whole fruition of the thing. So there's this kind of gap between when he's anointed and then when he actually becomes king. And so he writes this in that interim time. And it reminds me a lot of prophecy. You know, sometimes we get a prophetic word, and it's awesome, right? We receive it. We say, that's great. But oftentimes between the prophecy and the fulfillment, there's a gap. And there's a season where, 
we start to go, hey, God, you said you would do this, but it's not happening, right? And so we find David in this same exact place, and he struggles with this. If you read many of the Psalms, you'll find David is uh, really, really struggles with different people attacking him, and some point in his life, his son rises up against him, and all this stuff, and, and he's very transparent, isn't he? You read through the Psalms, it's so transparent of the struggle that he's actually having on this journey. But it also says this, that David was a man after God's heart. You know that song we just read, As the Deer Pants for the Water? You know who wrote that? David. So you know that David's heart is for God. He's for the Lord. He's going after God. But he's struggling in that interim place of, I want the joy. <laughs> I'm just not, you know, not, it's, it's out there. And so John says, you got to seek it. Well, that is true. You seek joy by seeking the giver of joy. Amen? So David... He's, he's in this hiding place, and he's struggling, and he's, he's wrestling with his doubts and feelings and this kind of stuff. And I, I don't even need to ask if anybody's ever been there, because we all have, right? So then, just start with this. Verse 1, he says, uh, and again, this is in the Passion Translation. He says, I'm hurting, Lord. Will you forget me forever? How much longer, Lord? Have you ever had those kind of questions when you're you're expecting something and it's not coming and it feels like, and sometimes it feels like God forgets us. Where are you? I don't get it. Why is this going on? Why is this going on? You know, like, like we almost want to just throw a fit, right? And David is here and he's really stressed out. He's really troubled. And he says, Lord, will you forget me forever? How much longer, Lord? Will you look the other way when I'm in need? How much longer must I cling to this constant grief? I've endured this shaking of my soul so much longer. So how much longer will my enemy have the upper hand? It's been too long. Anybody agree with that? Say, it's been too long that you promised me and my kids were going to be saved and passionate followers of you, and they're not. How many of you have said, Lord, the, the revival that you promised for this region how much longer? It's, it's enough. How many of you feel that sometimes? How many of you feel like the job situation or the family thing or whatever, and it just feels like, God, it's enough. How long has it been? It's been long enough. Everybody raise your hand and say, it's been long enough. Amen. He goes on and he says this. Take a good look at me, God, and answer me. And don't you, I love this about David and, and God. David is not afraid to say things that I think a lot of Christians are afraid to say. Right? I want to just encourage you this morning. You can be as transparent and as real with God as you want to be. He's totally big enough to handle it. Like if you say, God, I've had it with you, blah, 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 and you, you go into this whole spiel, right? God's not going to go, well, I'm offended, and I'm not going to be here anymore. <laughs> like, he's, he's not going to turn away from you. Like, like he's really big, and chances are good anything you have to say Somebody before you has already said it. In a lot of cases, you can read David and go, oh, I can't believe he's saying that to God. And God's like, it's okay. You can say it. You can go ahead and do that. Just bring it to me. Because if nothing else, God wants us to be real, doesn't he? He wants us to be real. Amen. He says, take a good look at me, God, and answer me. And then he says this, breathe your life into my spirit. So we, we kind of begin to see a change, and always with David in the Psalms, it's like this. He vents, 
And then he begins to, 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 to uh, out of his frustration, he doesn't turn to the frustration, he turns to God. And so out of his frustration, what does he do here? He says, take a look at me, answer me. Breathe your life into my spirit. Bring light to my eyes in this pitch black darkness or I will sleep the sleep of death. He says, listen, God, I understand this is a bad situation and I don't get it, but here's the deal. Breathe your life into me. Breathe your spirit into me because in my own spirit, I'm going to get it wrong, right? If I let the flesh and I let the circumstances dictate, it's going to be bad. But he says, God, I need you. I need your life. I need your spirit. I need you to do something in me that I don't really have right now. And so some of these answers about how do we get joy, yeah, you seek it. Yeah, you seek the giver. You go after him and you say, Lord, I, I, need, a, I need a change. And then he says in verse 4, don't let my enemy proclaim I've prevailed over him, for all my adversaries will celebrate when I fall. Verse 5, Lord, I have always trusted in your kindness so answer me. So you see there's a change there. He's not just mad at God. He actually goes, God, you're really good. Thanks. Answer me. I really need an answer. And he says, I will yet celebrate with passion and what? And joy. When your salvation lifts me up. I love that kind of stuff. Because you know what he's not saying? He's not saying if. He's saying when, right? And you find that he's clinging to God. He's not clinging to the idea of God might be good. He's actually clinging to the idea that God is good, and God is going to come through, and he is going to prevail, right? I will yet celebrate with passion and joy when your salvation lifts me up. And it's interesting, that word salvation in the Hebrew is the, is the same word for Yeshua or Jesus that we find throughout the whole, the whole Bible. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is the source of our joy. If you want to rejoice over stuff, start rejoicing over Jesus. Start being thankful for him. Start trusting him and saying, Lord, I'm going to celebrate with passion and joy when Yeshua lifts me up. Hallelujah. Anybody say amen to that? In the last verse, number six, he says, I will sing my song of joy, there it is again, to you, the Most High, for in all of this, you have strengthened my soul. My enemies say that I have no Savior. Again, Yeshua. But I know that I have one in you. And isn't that interesting? The time for rejoicing is not after he comes through. It's during, right, and before. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the present, not the future. Because... Throughout this psalm, do you, think it, do you think his situation changed from verse 1 to verse 6? Probably not. He just sat down and wrote the whole thing. But he's making a choice. Amen? He's making a choice. He says, I will sing my song of joy to you. Can I encourage you with something today? If you want to rejoice over your situation, regardless of circumstances, I would encourage you to go, first of all, to go after Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, rejoice in who he is, rejoice in what he's done for you. Next week, we're going to look at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is awesome because it goes with rejoicing, right? Because Thanksgiving, when we begin to thank God for things ahead of time, all of a sudden we realize, hey, even my cruddy situation is awesome because God is in this and I can see his hand here and here and here and here and here. Amen? 
And we begin to focus on Yeshua. We begin to focus on Jesus and say, Lord, you're my source of joy. I'm going to go after you. And then just make a choice. Make a choice. Say, Lord, I'm going to choose you. Hallelujah. So now I want you to do, as we're getting close to ending here, which means nothing, but, <laughs> but just close your eyes one more time. I want you to go back to your situation that we mentioned before. And I want you just to begin to rejoice over it. And not an if, but a when. Right? Just begin to rejoice. And if you want to begin to thank God for some of the stuff, begin to let him point out some Thanksgiving things. Rejoice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While you do that, just stay in that moment. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. We're going to sing one last song with us this morning. Hallelujah. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin in your mind and your spirit just to, just to, to uh, make a trade, right? We're going to sing this song, Trading My Sorrows, that we begin to trade the negative for the positive. We begin to trade the, 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 the difficulties and the things that want to grab our mind and keep us